Chapter 8, Part 1 of The Black Box by E. Phillips Oppenheim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The House of Mystery, Part 1. Something in the nature of a conference was proceeding in Quest's study. The professor was there, seated in the most comfortable easy chair, smoking without relish one of his host's best cigars, watching with nervous impatience the closed door. Laura and Lenora were seated at the table, dressed for the street. They had the air of being prepared for some excursion. Quest, realizing the professor's highly strung state, left him alone for a few moments and was studying a map of New York. The latter, however, was too ill at ease to keep silent for long. "'Our friend French,' he remarked, "'gave you no clue, I suppose, "'as to the direction in which his investigations are leading him.' Quest glanced up from the map. "'None at all. "'I know, however, that the house in which Lenora here was confined "'is being watched closely.' The professor glanced toward the table before which Lenora was seated. It seems strange, he continued, that the young lady should have so little to tell us about her incarceration. Lenora shivered for a moment. What could there be to tell, she asked, except that it was all horrible, and that I felt things, felt dangers, which I couldn't describe. The professor gave vent to an impatient little exclamation. I'm not speaking of fancies, he persisted. You had food brought to you, for instance. Could you never see the hand which placed it inside your room? Could you hear nothing of the footsteps of the person who brought it? Could you not even surmise whether it was a man or a woman? Lenore answered him with evident effort. She had barely, as yet, recovered from the shock of those awful hours. The person who brought me the food, she said, came at night, never in the daytime. I never heard anything. The most I ever saw was once I happened to be looking towards the door, and I saw a pair of hands, nothing more, setting down a tray. I shrieked and called out. I think I almost fainted. When I found courage enough to look, there was nothing there but the tray upon the floor. You never heard, for instance, the rustling of a gown or the sound of a footstep, the professor asked. You could not even say whether your jailer were men or women? Lenora shook her head. All that I ever heard was the opening of the door. All that I ever saw was that pair of hands. One night I fancied, but that must have been a dream. You fancied what? the professor persisted. "'That I saw a pair of eyes glaring at me,' Lenora replied. "'Eyes without a human body. "'I know that I ran around the room, calling out. "'When I dared to look again, there was nothing there.' "'The professor sighed as he turned away. "'It is evident, I'm afraid,' he said, "'that Miss Lenora's evidence will help no one. "'As an expert in these affairs, Mr. Quest, "'does it not seem to you,' that her imprisonment was just a little purposeless. There seems to have been no attempt to harm her in any way whatever, that I can see. 
Whoever took the risk of abducting her, Quest pointed out grimly, did it for a purpose. That purpose would probably have become developed in course of time. However we look at it, Mr. Ashley, there was only one man who must have been anxious to get her out of the way, and that man was Craig. The professor's manner betrayed some excitement. Then will you tell me this, he demanded. The young lady is confident that she locked up Craig in the coach house and that the key was on the outside of the door, a fact which would prevent the lock being picked from the inside, even if such a thing were possible. The window is small and up almost in the roof. Will you tell me how Craig escaped from the coach house in order to carry out this abduction, all within a few minutes, mind, of his having been left there? Will you tell me that, Mr. Sanford Quest? The professor concluded, with a note of triumph in his tone. That's one of the troubles we are up against, Quest admitted. We have to remember this, though. The brain that planned the two murders here that stole and restored Mrs. Reinhold's jewels, that sends us those little billy-doos from time to time, is quite capable of finding a way out of a jerry-built garage. The professor sniffed. He turned once more to Lenora. Young lady, he said, I will ask you this. I do not wish to seem obstinate in my refusal to accept Craig's guilt as proved but I would like to put this simple question to you. Did Craig's demeanor during your conversation seem to you to indicate the master criminal? Did he seem to you to be possessed of supreme courage, of marvelous intelligence? Lenora smiled very faintly. I'm afraid, she replied, that this time I'll have to satisfy the professor. He was white and trembling all the time. I thought him an errant coward. The professor smiled beatifically as he glanced around. He had the air of one propounding an unanswerable problem. You hear what Miss Lenora says? I ask you whether a man who even knew the meaning of the word fear could have carried out these ghastly crimes? I have known cases, Quest observed, where the most cold-blooded criminals in the world have been stricken with the most deadly fear when it comes to a question of any personal danger. However, he added, here comes our friend French. I have an idea that he has something to tell us. They glanced expectantly towards the door as French entered. The inspector, who was looking very spruce and well-brushed, wished them a general good morning. His eyes rested last and longest upon Laura, who seemed, however, unconscious of his presence. Now then, French, Quest began, as he returned his greeting, take a cigar, make yourself comfortable in that chair, and let us have your news. As you see, we have obeyed orders. We are all ready to follow you anywhere you say. It won't be to the end of the world anyway, the inspector remarked as he lit his cigar. I'm going to propose a little excursion down Grayson Avenue way. 
"'Back to that house!' Lenora exclaimed with a grimace. The inspector nodded. "'We have had those boys at the station,' he went on, "'and we have questioned them carefully. "'It seems that after they had picked up the ball, "'a man came out of the side entrance of the house, "'saw them reading Miss Lenora's message, "'and shouted after them. "'The boys had enough sense to scoot. "'The man ran after them, but had to give up. "'Here is their description of him.' The inspector took a piece of paper from his pocket. They all waited breathlessly. Had to drag this out of the boys bit by bit, the inspector proceeded, but boiled down and put into reasonable language, this is what it comes to. The man was of medium height, rather thin, pale, and dressed in black clothes. He had what they call anxious eyes, and after running a short distance, he put his hand to his heart as though out of breath. One of the boys thought his nose was a little hooked, and they both remarked upon the fact that although he shouted after them, he used no swear words, but simply tried to induce them to stop. This description suggests anything to you, gentlemen? Craig, Lenora said firmly. It's a very accurate description of Craig, Sanford Quest agreed. The professor looked troubled, also a little perplexed. He said nothing, however. Under these circumstances, the inspector continued, I have had the house watched, and I propose that we now search it systematically. It is very possible that something may transpire to help us. Of course, my men went through it roughly when we brought Miss Lonora away, but that wasn't anything of a search to count if the place has really become a haunt of criminals. "'What about the ownership of the house?' Quest asked, as he took up his hat. The inspector nodded approvingly. "'I am making a few inquiries in that direction,' he announced. "'I expect to have something to report very shortly.' The professor stood drawing on his gloves. The vague look of trouble still lingered in his face. "'Tell me again,' he begged, "'the name of the avenue in which this residence is situated.' "'Grayson Avenue,' the inspector replied. "'It's a bit out of the way, but it's not a bad neighborhood.' The professor repeated the address to himself softly. For a moment he stood quite still. His manner showed signs of growing anxiety. He seemed to be trying to remember something.' The name, he admitted finally, as they moved towards the door, suggests to me, I must confess, we are going to see the house, Inspector. We are on our way there now, sir, that is, if the young ladies are willing, he added, glancing at Laura. We've been waiting here with our hats on for the last half hour, Laura replied promptly. You've stretched your ten minutes out some, Mr. French. The inspector maneuvered to let the others pass on, and descended the stairs by Laura's side. Couldn't help it, he confided, lowering his tone a little. Had some information come in about that house. I couldn't quite size up. You're looking well this morning, Miss Laura. Say, who are you guying? she replied. I mean it, the inspector persisted. That hat seems to suit you. 
Laura laughed at the top of her voice. Say, kid, she exclaimed to Lenora, the inspector here's setting up as a judge of millinery. Lenora turned and looked at them both with an air of blank astonishment. The inspector was a little embarrassed. No need to give me away like that, he muttered, as they reached the hall. Now then, ladies and gentlemen, if you are ready. They took their places in the automobile and drove off. As they neared the vicinity of Grayson Avenue, the professor began to show signs of renewed uneasiness. When they drew up at last outside the house, he gave a little exclamation. His face was grave, almost haggard. Mr. Quest, he said, Inspector French, I deeply regret that I have a statement to make. They both turned quickly towards him. The inspector smiled in a confidential manner at Laura. It was obvious that he knew what was coming. Some years ago, the professor continued, I bought this house and made a present of it to... To whom? Quest asked quickly. To my servant Craig. The professor admitted with a groan. Lenora gave a little cry. She turned triumphantly towards the inspector. All recollection as to its locality had escaped me, the professor continued sorrowfully. I remembered that it was on the anniversary of his having been with me for some fifteen years that I decided to show him some substantial mark of my appreciation. I knew that he was looking for a domicile for his father and mother, who are since both dead, and I requested a house agent to send me in a list of suitable residences. This, alas, was the one I purchased. Quest glanced around the place. I think he said that the professor's statement now removes any doubt as to Craig's guilt. You are sure the house has been closely watched, Inspector? Since I received certain information, French replied, I have had half a dozen of my best men in the vicinity. I can assure you that no one has entered or left it during the last twenty-four hours. They made their way to the piazza steps and entered by the front door. The house was an ordinary framework, one of moderate size, in poor repair, and showing signs of great neglect. The rooms were barely furnished, and their first cursory search revealed no trace of habitation. There was still the broken skylight in the room which Lenore had occupied, and the bed upon which she had slept was still crumpled. French, who had been tapping the walls downstairs, called to them. They trooped down into the hall. The inspector was standing before what appeared to be an ordinary panel. Look here, he said, glancing out of the corner of his eye, to be sure that Laura was there. Let me show you what I have just discovered. He felt with his thumb for a spring. In a moment or two, a portion of the wall, about two feet in extent, slowly revolved, disclosing a small cupboard fitted with a telephone instrument. A telephone, the inspector remarked, pointing to it, in an unoccupied house, and a concealed cupboard? What do you think of that? The professor shook his head. Don't ask me, he groaned. 
French took the receiver from its rest and called up the exchange. Inspector French speaking, he announced. Kindly tell me what is the number of the telephone from which I am speaking, and who is the subscriber? He listened to the reply and asked another question. Can you tell me when this instrument was last used? When? Thank you. The inspector hung up the receiver. The subscriber's name, he told them dryly, is Brown. The number is not entered in the book by request. The telephone was used an hour ago from a call office, and connection was established. That is to say, that someone spoke from this telephone. Then if your men have maintained their search properly, that someone, Quest said slowly, must be in the house at the present moment. Without a doubt, the inspector agreed. I should like to suggest, he went on, that the two young ladies wait for us now in the automobile. If this man turns out as desperate as he has shown himself ingenious, there may be a little trouble. They both protested vigorously. Quest shrugged his shoulders. They must decide for themselves, he said. Personally, I like Lenora, who has had less experience with such adventures, to grow accustomed to danger. With your permission, Inspector, I am going to search the front room on the first floor below before we do anything else. I think that if you wait here, I may be able to show you something directly. Quest ascended the stairs and entered a wholly unfurnished room on the left-hand side. He looked for a minute, contemplatively, at a large but rather shallow cupboard, the door of which stood open, and tapped lightly with his forefinger upon the back part of it. Then he withdrew a few feet, and drawing out his revolver, deliberately fired into the floor a few inches inside. There was a half-stifled cry. The false back suddenly swung open, and a man rushed out. Quest's revolver covered him, but there was no necessity for its use. Craig, smothered with dust, his face white as a piece of marble, even his jaw shaking with fear, was wholly unarmed. He seemed, in fact, incapable of any form of resistance. He threw himself upon his knees before Quest. "'Save me,' he begged. "'Help me to get away from this house. You don't belong to the police.' I'll give you every penny I have in the world to let me go. Quest smiled at him derisively. Get up, he ordered. Very slowly, Craig obeyed him. He was a pitiful-looking object, but a single look into Quest's face showed him the folly of any sort of appeal. Walk out of the room, Quest ordered, in front of me. So. Now then, turn to the right and go down the stairs. They all gave a little cry as they saw him appear, a trembling, pitiful creature, glancing around like a trapped animal. He commenced to descend the stairs, holding tightly to the banisters. Quest remained on the landing above, his revolver in his hand. French waited in the hall below, also armed. Laura gripped Lenora's arm in excitement. "'They've got him now,' she exclaimed. "'Got him, sure.' On the fourth or fifth stair, Craig hesitated. 
he suddenly saw the professor standing below. He gripped the banisters with one hand. The other he flung out in a threatening gesture. "'You have given me away to these bloodhounds,' he cried. "'You, for whom I have toiled and slaved, whom I have followed all over the world, whom I have served faithfully with the last breath of my body and the last drop of blood in my veins. You have brought them here, tracked me down. You!' The professor shook his head sorrowfully. "'Craig,' he said, "'you have been the best servant man ever had. If you are innocent of these crimes, you can clear yourself. If you are guilty, a dog's death is none too good for you.' Craig seemed to sway for a moment upon his feet. Only Lenora, from the hall, saw that he was fitting his right foot into what seemed to be a leather loop hanging from the banisters. Then a wild shout of surprise broke from the lips of all of them, followed by a moment of stupefied wonder. The whole staircase suddenly began to revolve. Craig, clinging to the banister, disappeared. In a moment or two, there was a fresh click. Another set of stairs almost identical to the first had taken their place. "'The cellar!' Quest shouted as he rushed down the stairs. "'Quick!' They wrenched open the wooden door and hurried down the dark steps into the gloomy, unlit cellar. The place was crowded with packing cases, and two large wine barrels stood in the corner. At the farther end was a door. Quest rushed for it and stood on guard. A moment later, however, he called to Laura and pressed his revolver into her hand. "'Stand here,' he ordered. "'Shoot him if he tries to run out. "'I'll search in the packing cases. "'He might be dangerous.' The professor, out of breath, was leaning up against one of the pillars. His arm passed around it for support. Lenora, with Quest and French, searched hastily among the packing cases. Suddenly there was a loud crack, the sound of falling masonry, followed by a scream from Laura. French, with a roar of anger, rushed towards her. She was lying on her side, already half covered by falling bricks and masonry. He dragged her away just in time. "'My God, she's fainted!' he exclaimed. "'I haven't,' Laura faltered, trying to open her eyes. "'And I'm not going to. But I think my arm's broken and my side hurts.' "'The fellow's not down here anyway,' Quest declared. "'Let's help her upstairs and get her out of this devil's house.' They supported her up the steps and found a chair for her in the hall. She was white almost to the lips, but she struggled bravely to keep consciousness. "'Don't you bother about me,' she begged. "'Don't let that blackguard go. "'You find him. I shall be all right.' The inspector swung open the telephone cupboard and called for an ambulance. Then Quest, who had been examining the staircase, suddenly gave a little exclamation. "'He's done us!' he cried. "'Look here, French. This is the original staircase. There's the leather loop. I know it because there was a crack on the fourth stair. When we rushed down the cellar after him, he swung the thing around again and simply walked out of the front door. 
Damn it, man, it's open. They hurried outside. French blew his whistle. One of the plainclothesmen came running up from the avenue. He was looking a little sheepish. What's wrong? French demanded. He's gone off, was the unwilling reply. I guess that chap's given us the slip. Speak up, French insisted. The only place, the man went on, we hadn't our eyes glued on was the front door. He must have come out through that. There's been a motor truck with one or two queer-looking chaps in it at the corner of the avenue there for the last ten minutes. I just made up my mind to stroll round and see what it was up to when a Jim, who was on the other side, shouted out. A man jumped up into it, and they made off at once. Could he have come from this house? French asked sternly. I guess if he'd come out of the front door, he might just have done it, the man admitted. Quest and the inspector exchanged glances. He's done us, Quest muttered, done us like a couple of greenhorns. The inspector's rubicon countenance was white with fury. His head kept turning in the direction of Laura, to whom the professor was busy rendering first aid. I'll never take another job on as long as I live, he declared. I'll have that fellow before I'm through. End of chapter 8, part 1